Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. That beautiful sound you hear means it's time to immerse ourselves in the H-Town takeover and Houston Cougar sports. And to do that, I've got the host of the Scott and Holman podcast, Sam and Dustin. For those of you who aren't familiar with the podcast, Sam Raz and Dustin Rensink cover Every single sport at U of H, you guys are doing outstanding work over there. Thanks for taking the time to join me. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah, happy to be here. Fantastic. And we'll definitely talk more about the podcast later in the show uh, for the listeners. But let's quickly get into what feels like the most under-the-radar story in the city right now. Last I checked, there are only six one-loss college basketball teams left in the country. And as we record this Sunday, the Cougs now 12. 20 and one, number 17 in the polls, number seven in the new NET power rankings. Sam, I'll start off with you and Dustin. You can kind of add on to this with anything that, that he doesn't bring in, but quite simply, how are the Cougars doing this? The one word answer is defense. Obviously, giving a one word answer to how a team gets a 20 and one misses some stuff, but I think when you talk about this team, you have to start with their defense. And Like a lot of Kelvin Sampson teams back from his days from Washington State to present time, the Cougars play really rugged defense. The Cougars don't give up very many offensive rebounds. They get a lot of them. They will win the battle on the boards more often than not. You have really good defenders at about one through five for the Cougars. Corey Davis and Armani Brooks and Galen Robinson aren't the tallest guys, although Armani has a pretty good leap, but very rarely do you see an opposing guard really win the battle with those guys. So if I had to say there's one reason why this team is 21 right now, they do obviously a a lot of things pretty well, but I don't know if they do anything nearly as well as they play defense. It's just a team that's not going to be outworked by anyone. And the defense I think is the best evidence of it. Yeah. The thing that I would add to that would be the depth of this team has been really impressive. Kelvin Sampson, ever since he got here, his staff has recruited incredibly well. They found some under the radar guys like Armani Brooks, who wasn't very highly recruited and came in as obviously has turned into a stud. And then they've gone toe to toe. I mean, Corey Davis, they beat, you know, LSU for a kid that's from Louisiana, as well as Arizona was offering him, um, beat a ton of guys for the transfer combo of Dejan Giroux and uh, Bryson Gresham, and then brought in uh, Nate Hinton, a freshman this year who, you just was offered by pretty much every school on the East Coast just about. Um, so, I mean, this this uh, staff has done an incredible job. I think everyone kind of assumed with Rob Gray graduating last year, this team was going to take a step back. But when we looked at the roster with everyone coming in, we said, wow, I, I feel like this team might have not have the one you know star power offensive player like Rob Gray, which they don't, um, but it's a deeper team overall. They can go nine or ten guys deep and, and really not be uh, missing much with anyone that comes in. Sam, what's been the biggest surprise for you? I think the biggest surprise – for me is I think just how well this team has been able to work offensively without a go-to guy. I think that was our big concern was Rob Gray did a lot of different stuff really well. He wasn't an elite shooter. He was, you know, he just, he didn't have one thing that was outstanding, but he just did a lot of things on offense really well, was just a fearless player. And we didn't really have that guy offensively. So it's kind of, you're wondering where it's going to come from. And Armani Brooks, who, took an incredible step up from his freshman year to his sophomore year. Last year, he was the conference sixth man of the year after basically being a sparsely used, you know, off the bench guy as a freshman. And we were kind of wondering, it's all right, does he have another jump in him like that? And Armani has gone from being, you know, conference sixth man of the year to, I don't think he's going to win it, but I think he has a very fair case for conference player of the year in his own right. And has just gotten a lot better 
coming off a season where we thought, man, has this guy really maxed out how well he can do as a division one player? And I, he's just been incredible. He's been a revelation. He's, he's not Rob Gray. Nobody's Rob Gray except for Rob Gray, but Armani has kind of stepped into some of the scoring output that Rob had. And now the Cougars don't have, and really, I think filled in nicely and done it, I think in a more variety of ways, rather than just being a bomber from deep, even if, Armani's obviously preferred mode of getting points is shooting from deep. Looking at the rest of their schedule, uh, Dustin, how high a seed could could the Cougars reach by the time the big dance rolls around? Could they potentially even be a number two seed? What, what's your prediction? I think absolutely this team could be a two seed. I, there really aren't very many games uh, left on the schedule that I think, oh man, that, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's there's plenty of good teams in the American that Houston could lose to if they don't play their game. Um, and they've got you know both home and away against Cincinnati and UCF, probably the two most talented teams besides Houston left in the conference. So obviously that's four games they're going to be tough. Um, but I think Houston has the most talented, deepest team in this conference. Uh, they've on a you know they're on a 30 game winning streak right now. I think it's going to be hard for anyone in the conference to beat them um, in uh, the Fertitta Center as well as they're playing in that building right now. Um, so I think it's entirely possible this team could go into uh, Selection Sunday with, you know, maybe two or three losses, uh, four losses, something like that. And I think uh, that with the the resume they put together, obviously would you would love to have some of the teams that you beat like Oregon and BYU and Oklahoma State to be having better years than they are. Um, so some of the wins that we thought might end up being real marquee wins haven't quite turned out that way. LSU is playing, playing like crazy right now, so that's going to end up being a good win for the Cougars for sure. Um, but I think if they come into tournament time with, uh, you know, two, three, four losses, which I think is entirely possible, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this team be as high as a two seed. Most of the projections right now, I think, are three to four. That's, you know, if the most likely scenario. I would probably go with a three or a four. But uh, I think this team has every every possibility of, of being as high as a two seed. I guess my expectations for, you know, how, how much buzz this uh, town can have about U of H might be a little bit high because... You know, I, I grew up with the Phi Slamma Jamma teams and, you know, it's just like you can't repeat that. And obviously you got guys like, you know, Akeem and Clyde Drexler, uh, players that grab your attention and, and just, you know, the style of play that they have. But, you know, what, what are you guys feeling? You know, do you, do you sense that there's uh, the city is uh, starting to notice this team or is it disappointing what you're seeing out when you uh, kind of talk to people about what's going on? Yeah, I think I think it's definitely getting there. I mean, you have to consider the fact that until, you know, last year, this team was basically hadn't done anything of significance since by Slamma Jamma. So it's hard to battle against three decades of, you know, people just not really caring too much. Um, A, because, you know, Houston and Texas in general is more of a, a football location than it is for uh, basketball. And then B, because, like I said, they're just not very, uh, very good for a long time. So I think people are getting used to it. But I mean, after the uh, the LSU game, seeing the fans continue to come back, and we've seen some uh, some sellouts at the Fertitta Center for some of the conference games, even. Um, so that's been really encouraging, and I think that uh, this team plays such a fun style that you you know you just see a lot of fans coming back and just you know being on we're on social media talking Cougars all the time. I just I've I've heard a lot of people really talking about you know I haven't really ever gotten super behind this program but this team is just so easy to cheer for there's so much fun the games are so much fun and it's just been such a loud rowdy atmosphere in uh, the Fertitta Center I think more and more people are going to want to be a part of that seeing the celebrities we've had uh, you know James Harden and Eric Gordon and uh, Bregman a bunch of those guys on the sideline for games uh, only continues to make this feel like it's a real hot ticket it's a real event to go to and uh, man just having been a fan of the Cougars for the last you know many years and just never believing that we would sell out multiple games in a season to see what they've done uh, in the Fertitta Center is really exciting, and I think that uh, that's only going to continue to build. The only thing I'd have to add is I think it helps that U of H 
nailed the next step beyond Hoffheim's Pavilion because yeah. Dustin and I attended a ton of games in Hoffheim's Pavilion, and bless it, it was a dump by, <laughs> you know, I don't know, the last 10, 15 years of it. It just it wasn't a good Division One facility. It's not the kind of place that, fa- you know, recruits really want to play and fans really want to see a game. And, you know, I think anything was going to be an upgrade after that, but the Fertitta Center itself is just, I think – Without you know ambiguity, the nicest Division One basketball facility in the state right now, and yeah, I thought they did a great job. You know, really bringing bringing us an arena that you know I think is going to be an asset for this program for many, many, many years. What would you guys be concerned about come tournament time with the way the Cougs are constructed? I mean, usually hoops fans assume you need one or two of those transcendent scores, a McDonald's All American type, NBA quality talent. Uh, somebody that, who can, you know, they can be a big, get big baskets against the best defenses in the country. Is that something that's a concern? Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest concern come tournament time is um, just, you know, playing a team like the Houston's one loss was to Temple, and they really frustrated the Cougars offensively by having, they have a lot of really, you know, tall, long guards. Um, you know, two of Houston's starting guards are just six foot in, uh, you know, Galen Robinson and Corey Davis. Um, so I think, you know, especially in tournament time, teams tend to shoot a little bit less well from the outside. Um, something you know, some teams will just get hot and just have a crazy game, but you see a lot of you know games that are kind of low scoring as people struggle to to shoot the ball in you know giant arenas. And Houston certainly you know offensively has been kind of a streaky team. They've they've had games where they shoot just you know crazy from beyond the arc, and and games where um, it doesn't seem to to fall for them. So I can imagine a team you know getting matched up with a team that just has a lot of long guards who play really good defense, and you know the shots just kind of aren't falling. And you know as far as getting points from your forwards, it's kind of been a a roulette wheel for Houston. Some games they get some real big games from guys like Breon Brady or Fabian White, and sometimes that doesn't happen. So, um, you know, I, I, th- I think this team is not invincible. As excited as we are about this team, we have to remember that they they tried pretty hard to lose to UT Rio Grande Valley earlier this year. So I think they're, they are certainly a team that if everyone just kind of goes cold at once because they don't have that one, you know, that one score kind of to do the Rob Gray thing. That was obviously Houston's win in the tournament last year was Rob Gray pretty much taking the entire team on his back. And uh, and willing them to victory in the first round over San Diego State, so I, I do you know worry that as much as this team plays really good defense, if an opponent just has a hot night and and the team just kind of isn't shooting, it's within the realm of possibility. But the one thing that does make me encouraged is, as they say, you know, defense always travels, and I feel like wherever the Cougars end up, they'll play good defense, and and that'll give them a good chance in any game that they're in. And the only thing I would add is just this team does play really tough defense, but you get the wrong officiating crew, yeah. this team might get whistled thirty times, and you know you're. You're really testing that depth, and I think any team, even a deep one like the Cougars, if that depth gets tested so much, it you know, it doesn't end well a lot of times. But they're not really relying on anybody specifically, so that's good. Yeah, I think that the the fact that the scoring is more spread around makes it a lot easier to to feel confident because you're not you're not just waiting for for uh, for Rob Gray. You know, all five guards have had you know they're in the rotation have had their games where they go off and have big games. Um, some of the, you know, you never know who you're going to get points from. So that makes it there. There's not one guy that an opponent can just say, oh, we're going to focus on one, you know, one guy. And that's it. It takes it takes a lot of guys probably having a bad game for Houston to struggle offensively. What are there about nine games, regular season games left now? Just about, I think, nine or ten without without having the schedule in front of me. I think it's ten. So I think it's 31 games. We're 21 right now. So I believe it's 10 more games. Yep. Yeah, I'm going through the schedule. You know, is there a game or two that you would recommend people to go out and see that, you know, this is kind of gives you a good gauge of where Houston's at and it should be a great atmosphere. You know, I see the games coming up. They're hosting Temple. They're hosting Cincinnati, South Florida, uh, Central Florida, SMU. I would say 
the game coming up on Thursday against Temple is going to be a good one. Temple, I think, is a borderline NCAA team, but they're you know pretty tough opponent. They're a team, as Dustin mentioned earlier, has proven that they can create matchup problems with the Cougars and give them some trouble. And the game ended kind of controversially with uh, Corey Davis laying the ball in the basket, but it getting wiped out for a charge call. Um, the game also had a real bizarre technical on Kelvin Sampson when he uh, removed his tie, as he often does in the second half, and the one of the refs took umbrage to that and teed him up for it. And, you know, I'm, we didn't blame that loss on the refs, and I'm not the kind of person that blames losses on the refs, but in a game decided by a basket, those two technical foul shots really felt significant. So it's an opponent this Cougar team is focused on. It's a opponent this Cougar fan base is really excited to get another shot at because they've given the Cougars their only loss this year. And if you're a fan that's at home and only will make it, I believe this game is on one of the main ESPN networks. I could be wrong. I think it's on the deuce, but I don't have it in front of me. So, you know, you don't have to have some kind of fancy special cable package to watch the hometown team. Hopefully uh, avenge it's only lost the season so far. Let me switch gears over to football because major Applewhite is out. Dana Holgerson is in. Let me start by asking you guys what went wrong with major Applewhite that he was hired in the first place. (laughs) I I just, it was a, it was a very curious hire from the word go. I won't won't spend too much time on it, but he was definitely the second most credentialed and second most liked of the two coordinators under Tom Herman. And it, it was not someone really, the two of us, when we were actually like looking at that hire really took seriously as a candidate. I think, we thought if it was going to be someone internally, it was going to be Todd Orlando, the current Texas Longhorn defensive coordinator, who at the time was the interim coach. He was Herman's number two. So it really kind of threw us all for a loop when they chose Major Applewhite. And I don't think anyone had really been advocating strongly for Major to take the job. And I think that's why it was so easy for the fan base in general to kind of turn on him when the results weren't great. And I, th- I think to give a more concrete answer, I think his biggest problem was – you know, we, he wasn't a great offensive coordinator when he was the offensive coordinator. So we kind of knew he was going to have to be a CEO type head coach and make good assistant coach hires. I mean, his uh, his first offensive coordinator hire was Brian Johnson, who did terrible, got fired after a year. Then he brought Kendall Browse in, who obviously came in with some controversy uh, but and did a good job on the field, but left after a single season. And his defensive coordinator hire, Mark D'Onofrio, was a failure who you know got fired even before Major Applewhite did at the end of the year. So if the only way the Major Applewhite hire was ever going to work is if he made some really good you know coordinator hires and assistant hires, and he whiffed on those pretty hard. And recruited well. He, was, he came in very recommended by the state's high school coaches, and the recruiting wasn't bad, but the recruiting wasn't anything to write home about either. Yeah, I was at uh, his opening press conference and was a little surprised because it was a little bit more exciting than I thought it would be coming from major Applewhite. But overall, you know, I've been to some of his press conferences and uh, you know, they could put you to sleep. Not necessarily that <laughs> that's uh, always the, the the deal. I mean, I know Bill Belichick is not exactly Mr. Excitement, but I, I guess with the U of H, you know, I would think you would want somebody that, you know, really has a presence and you know, that th- this city kind of needs somebody that gets people's attention. Yeah. It was kind of a whiplash coming off Tom Herman, who you're not going to, you have to twist my arm to get me to say lots of nice things about Tom Herman now in 2019, but he sold the program. He was a good quote. He was someone not afraid of being the face of the program. And you know, just that's not, that wasn't in major app white's nature to be a really gregarious sell the program kind of head coach. And, I think in a different sort of way from Tom Herman, I think Dana Holgerson kind of is that guy. He can, you know, I think 
sell the program in a way that and have the credibility that Major didn't. Yeah, Sam, you don't have to say anything nice about Tom Herman because Tom Herman will tell you how great he is. So there you go. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm unnecessary to this equation. <laughs> Was Holgerson your pick to take over? Oh, yeah. As soon as I think either of us heard that that was a uh, an option, we were uh, thrilled with that. Um, you know, obviously, we we were both uh, a little not not thrilled with the, the Kendall Bryles hire, but as much fun as it was to watch him run the offense for a year, Dana Holgerson's a guy that, you know, it's going to be fun to watch him run the offense. Um, you know, Derek King coming back for his senior season to go with Dana Holgerson being one of the better offensive minds um in in the game is really exciting and to see not only that uh, that Holgerson is brought in but I thought just as importantly was the fact that the administration is throwing a ton of money at the assistant pool um Sam you can help me out here because our new defensive coordinator hired his name is escaping from me Joe right Cawthon thank you Cawthon but uh is, is a guy with a, a great track record coming in um so just, not only just you know the Holgerson brought in but uh, the assistants around him um, makes us incredibly excited for this hire. Really could not be, uh, could not have picked him. I mean, we all, we were honestly expecting another year of Major Applewhite and just kind of like it's going to take us 12 more months to realize this guy obviously isn't going to get the job done. So this whole, you know, next 12 months of football is just kind of, uh, just kind of gone and, you know, kind of dead coach walking. And to go from that to uh, poaching a sitting P5 head coach who, you know, has had success as the offensive coordinator at Houston in the past and is a guy that we're all familiar with and think we'll probably do a really good job running the offense and has a good defensive mind to work with them that's it's a yeah, we've done a 180 from our you know opinion on where we were kind of on the football program from before major Applewhite getting fired till now yeah say, say the name of the defensive coordinator again because i think this is an important guy joe uh joe Cawthon or joe Cawthon? i'm not sure it's c-a-u-t-h-e-n Cough. Coffin. And and this is uh, a guy that came from Arkansas State, and one of my best friends is a huge Arkansas State alum, fan, everything, and he loves this guy, says uh, this was a good hire. I mean, you look at his numbers as far as ranking, I, I guess, nationwide. It doesn't jump out at you, but um, from what I have seen, and I don't know what you guys saw, it looks like he, he's good at causing turnovers, and you, know, you, you can't necessarily judge totally by the numbers as far as where they ranked nationwide with him as the defensive coordinator because Arkansas State doesn't get the most talent but they they face a great schedule year in and year out yeah and one thing that Dustin and I talked about before we even knew Major Apple I was gone but when we knew that there was gonna be defensive coordinator change we just said the next defensive coordinator has to be someone that's aggressive has to be someone that attacks because quite honestly this isn't a one-year fix on defense I think it's taken years of bad scheme and recruiting failure to reach the position where you are now, where I think U of H has to do stuff to artificially create pressure and be aggressive and force turnovers and do all the things that you just said, you know, Coffin was very good at doing at Arkansas state. And we know we've got talent coming back on offense. We know Houston is going to score some points with Derek King and Dana Holgerson next year. So the worst possible thing you could have is a coordinator like, you know, Mark D'Onofrio who just played a uh, bend, but don't break defense whose general offense or defensive philosophy was just make the other team take a few minutes while they marched on the field. That's the worst possible thing, you know, either get a big play and get the ball back or, you know, just give up a big play and put the offense back on the field. So I think that style, that style was definitely what Houston was looking for in a DC and uh, Cawthon very much fits that mold. There's talent coming back on defense without Ed Oliver? Or on, on offense. I may have misspoke. There's, there's not a whole lot. Honestly, that, that, that's kind of the idea on defense is we're kind of scratching our head, not sure where the plays are going to come from. They brought in a couple of interesting D1 transfers, but I don't think either of those guys could be available until 2020. And frankly, that's two guys out of 11. So you can have, <laughs> as Ed Oliver proved last year, you can have a transcendent player, but if they're on a bad defense, it only does so much. Let me ask you, was Ed Oliver played almost out of position the last couple of years? Should they have moved him outside more? 
No, actually, I think Ed Oliver was played at the right position. I think uh, for all the staff's failings defensively, I, I think they generally kind of let Ed Oliver do what Ed Oliver you know, wanted to do. I, I don't know if Ed Oliver would have really worked as a 3-4 defensive end, kind of a space eater. He was kind of allowed to rush the pass, you know, rush the passer from the interior and you know, for at least the first two years, you know, to 2016 and 2017, our defenses ranged from pretty good to not terrible. I think last year's when the bottom really dropped out and really that the bottom truly dropped out once that Oliver got hurt and kind of, you know, we were waiting on him to come back. Yeah. I mean, for the better part of three years that Ed Oliver was on the field playing tackle, I mean, we almost never saw an opponents at any point try to run the ball in the middle of the line, which is just, it's, it's obviously a huge part of most offenses to at least occasionally run the ball, you know, in the line and just no one wanted to do it. We saw teams just entirely write that play out of their, their game plan because no one wanted to run the ball anywhere near Ed Oliver. So, and we, and we saw, you know, obviously towards the end of the year when he was hurt, that was what teams did that just killed us. That was what Memphis did. That was what army did down the stretches. They just said, Oh, we can, we can run the ball in the middle again. And we saw the huge, huge uh, difference between having Ed Oliver in the middle and not temple had like a half healthy running back nearly break the school <laughs> record against us. Wasn't great. Ugh. When you're not in a power five, I mean, is it, is it frustrating to watch college football knowing that just to get in a conversation nationally, you practically have to run the table? Yeah, I mean, it, it can be frustrating. I mean, it's if if you're at Houston, you're playing an entirely different game than what you're playing if you're you know a top team in a power five conference. You're at Houston right now playing in the American. You know, your goal is try to win the conference, try to win the conference with zero or one losses so that you have a chance to go to a New Year's Six bowl game. So that's kind of your goal isn't the playoff if you're at UT or something, then you know, your goal is the playoff. So you have a completely different goal that you're playing towards, uh, at least the way that uh, the sport is set up as of now. So, I mean, I think you just have to know what you have going in and, and just kind of, you know, have your own goals and work towards your own goals and just be huge snobs like Sam and I are and just refuse to watch, you know, the playoff games as long as that's a, a cartel that doesn't involve uh, half of the sport. But yeah, it's frustrating because, I mean, look at the basketball team. I, I don't think this U of H basketball team is going to win the national championship, but they can get to the tournament and get hot. And the same thing isn't afforded to us in football right now, unfortunately. Yeah, basketball, it's an even playing field. Uh, next Sunday, the Super Bowl, are you forced to root for New England with the Landon Roberts? <laughs> um, and, and this is tough because E-Rob's one of my favorite Cougars. He just was a guy, was a zero-star recruit out of high school, played at a, played at Morgan State, Dustin. I remember yeah. that his first year of college and then just – transferred to Houston, just didn't really do much until his senior year, and then he became the heart and soul of the defense that led UH to the Peach Bowl. And not just, you know, the Patriots don't just have Landon Roberts, they also have their receivers coach was a former uh, coup. Bill Belichick, immediately after Hurricane Harvey, wore like a red U of H has press conference and like spoke about it. And I don't know, I just, uh, I just, the the Rams being, you know, uprooted from St. Louis, the Patriots being the Patriots, it's, it's really hard as a neutral who's already kind of a casual pro football fan to really get into this one. I guess I guess I'll root for Landon to have you know plenty of tackles, but boy, uh, another Patriots Super Bowl win is uh, a tough one to stomach. I'm not gonna lie. Not a lot of good choices for this Super Bowl. I agree. Uh- <laughs> no sir. No. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this, uh, Case Keenum. What did you guys expect from him going into the NFL? And is he, you know, above your expectations so far or below your expectations? 
Yeah, I think uh, the fact that he's earned a career for as long as he had um, is definitely exceeds our expectations. We are both very righteously indignant that nobody drafted him out of college and uh, righteously indignant that multiple times the Texans waived him when they didn't seem to have anybody else on the roster that was really a whole lot better than him for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, if I'm being completely honest, I expected by, you know, when Case graduated, if you had said, hey, what's Case going to be doing in the year 2018 football season? I said, Probably a quarterback's coach in college would have been my guess, to be completely honest. So the fact that he uh, obviously had that play with the Vikings that was um, you know, one of the huge stories of the NFL last year. We were just beyond excited for him. And the fact that he got a big paycheck from the Broncos. Obviously, this year didn't go for Denver quite the way that they were hoping. Um, but hopefully, uh, we'll see Case you know, continue to make a, a living as an NFL quarterback for a couple more years. And then he can come back to Houston and be the quarterback's coach. And I think he he's proven that when surrounded by a real ideal system and talent— he could be a pretty decent NFL quarterback, which to me probably exceeds my expectations. I think my hope was he'd carve out a niche for himself as a backup and be in the league long enough to get that um, that veteran. I think um, if you're in the league a few years, you get the veteran's pension or something like that and just last that long in the NFL, which wasn't something I think a lot of people expected outside of the Houston fan base from out of college. Besides football and basketball, what's the best story coming out of U of H athletics that maybe people don't know about? Uh, we're going to go with, I think, uh, probably Sam will agree with me here to say the men's track and field program, which has been incredible. Um, they've got a um, gold medal Olympian in Leroy Burrell, who's been the head coach there for over two decades, alumnus of the school. Carl Lewis, arguably the greatest American athlete in history, um, is a assistant on that program. And they finished uh, number three in the nation in the, uh, the outdoor um, uh, championships uh, this past year. And they brought in a, uh, a couple of transfers that were real good. They brought in a seven-time All-American transfer, uh, Obi Ibukwe from the University of Arkansas. So they look like one of the top teams, uh, top programs in the country once again. They just installed a beautiful new track. It's a banked track indoor that only, I think it's like a dozen programs in the country have. Um, so just a program that's been incredibly good for a long time and is just really peaking now and becoming even better and has, you know, it's, it's a genuine threat to win a, a team national championship, something that Houston outside of the men's golf program, doesn't have a whole lot of it at school history. Last thing, I guess, is just uh, tell people a little bit about the podcast, uh, where people can find it, uh, just how, how you guys got started. So we got started simply because I listened to a fair amount of podcasts. I think Dustin listens to a fair amount of podcasts and just thought about it. It's like, well, a college football podcast exists, but there isn't a University of Houston podcast. And we are both pretty obsessive University of Houston fans. That's how we met about 12 years ago, holy crap, man, 12 years, um, as you know, as students who were very interested in the University of Houston about 12 years ago, and just without a microphone being on, we'll just talk incessantly at times about University of Houston athletics. So we thought, what if we just add a microphone to this equation? Nobody right now is doing a Houston Cougar podcast, who, even though we're just rank amateurs and have no idea about audio and really – our you know, coverage of U of H hasn't really strayed outside the written word. We've both done a little bit of that over the years. So we're not really – or didn't go into it as people really used to talking on a microphone. We figured we can work through the growing pains of that because we're it. We're the only people attempting to do a University of Houston podcast right now. And I think it worked out really well that it just so happened to be our very first season of any sport we covered was the 2015 Peach Bowl season with – you know, the Cougars beating Florida State ultimately, and then the basketball program has been a pretty steady upward trajectory. Since then, I think really just by accident, we picked a great time to start covering University of Houston athletics because 
there's been very little downward trajectory. I think football obviously is stagnated a little bit, but at the very least, football can't be accused of being boring to cover. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's worked out pretty well. And uh, since Dustin each week does the plug of where you can find us and how you can find us, I will very smoothly toss it to him here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you uh, if you're interested in the Houston Cougars, basically anywhere you get podcasts, you can search Scott and Holman podcast, or uh, you can also go to SoundCloud.com/slash Scott and Holman if you don't we're have a Spotify podcast now. app. Yeah, we're even on Spotify, which took forever to approve us, but finally did. We're also big tweeters, so if you're on Twitter at all, you like talking athletics, we talk you know all American athletic conference, really all college sports in general. Um, it's at sh podcast, and it's a uh, podcast p a w d because we are uh, suckers for puns, if nothing else. Scott and Holman, the streets, right? You got it. And you wouldn't believe how many times we've been asked, like, so which one are you, Scott, and which one are you, even, Holman? Even by Houstonians, even by U of H fans, they still ask us if I'm Scott or Holman anytime I meet somebody. Don't most people think of Cullen, though? Isn't that the the street they sort of put with U of H? Yeah, I guess. I don't, I don't even remember. It's been because Scott and Holman was a blog before it was a podcast. So I'm not even sure how we uh, came up with Scott and Holman other than I think we were just throwing around a bunch of streets. It and, sounds kind of catchy. And that, that was the intersection that sounded best together. I mean, but the football stadium is there. It's not that far from Hoffines. All right. Well, it's really fun to catch up with you guys. And, and, you know, just go check out the podcast for our listeners. If you're a big U of H fan, you're not going to want to miss this podcast because it's uh, really in-depth. And and obviously, you hear these guys. They do a great job. And I'm looking forward to the rest of this basketball season. You know, this is exciting. Just uh, can't wait for the tournament. But, hey, appreciate you guys coming on with me. Thanks a bunch. Yeah, thanks for having us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. Give us a five-star review on iTunes when you get the chance and tell your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.